podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. And sometimes we achieve outstanding pairings, while other times we uh, afford ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. Great recovery. Uh, thank you. I I'm one of your hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I'm here with... Car Joe Hill... Uh, uh, Joe Hillier. And Carlos right. Cooper. Okay. You're on your phone, Joe. I didn't know if it was... Uh... I don't if know he's going to jump in. Yeah, yeah, a little worried. Well, he's looking up some info on I'm the beer. I'm learning everything yeah. there is to know about the beer that we'll be enjoying tonight. This is the kind of uh, behind-the-scenes work that Joe does to make an excellent podcast. Sure. I can already see the color a little bit. Yeah? Just well, what color is that that he's seeing, Joe? It is a black ale tonight, but as we've been doing in the month of September, this is a non-alcoholic. You know, we've enjoyed a few of, a couple of mass-produced ones. We enjoyed a boutique a subscription service last week. This week, I looked specifically for a brewery that only does non-alcoholic beer. Or rather, I found out once I got here that that's exactly what the brewery does. <laughs> it's a good spin. You shouldn't have. Told I was going to say that's dedication. Yeah, right. That's the behind the, the that's the behind the scenes we usually reserve for after hours. Um, but this is Hairless Dog Brewing. They are, like I said, uh, all they do is non-alcoholic. The founders uh, decided to quit drinking and said, you know, we sure did love the craft beer, not just the beers, but the finding them and our favorites. And they came up with this idea for a brewery. Uh, I. Picked it up at a local chain beer alcohol store. This is called um, their Black Ale, and it's the beer that started it all. Their website says, Our founders wanted an NA beer that went where other non-alcoholic brews didn't. And the proof was in the pudding. Er, beer. Our, doc, our dark, rich, hoppy Black Ale is big, smooth, and just the right amount of bitter. We have not done a, dark, a beer this dark. I'm looking at your glasses uh, since we started our non-alcoholic journey, I'm not digging the nose on this thing. It's got a funky nose. It's, it's got a funky nose. It's like it smells like unfermented wort to me. Like when I when I've done home brewing, mm. this is very reminiscent here, Joe. Just so you can get a little sense of the. Uh, I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It, I hope that doesn't translate. It smells into the flavor. like it's going to be really sweet and close. I don't know. Th this is worrying me. But I, hey. In, uh, in 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 um, an attempt to be very uh, open minded here, I'm gonna try to drink this and, and enjoy it despite not thinking the nose is very appetizing. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not of all the NA beers we've had, this one is off the bat kind of freaking me out. Now the color I will say nails the black. It, it does look black. If I was looking at this, just poured, I'd think, oh, did you just pour me a stout or a porter? Yeah, and yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Well, I'll, I'll be curious to know your takes on it. Again, I'm on this weirdo Whole30 diet, so I will not be enjoying anything right. with any so malt. you're almost done. I've got a little over, I'm a little over halfway there. Oh, I thought you were well, closer than that. Uh, I started on the first day of the month. I was going to say, we're recording on the 19th. Yeah. Uh, this will drop on the 21st, so you'll, yeah. you'll be two-thirds through. Oh, uh, yeah. guys, come all horror October, I'm getting fucked up on this show. <laughs> come on, you got to, no, you got to, you got to, you know, go back slowly, right? That's the whole idea. Whole I intend on talking about that as well on okay. After Hours. Okay. kind of right. me beginning to plan out how I begin introducing some of these things back into my life and where my head is about it. Right. Yeah, well, uh, that'll be an exciting After Hours. But so my head is around Patreon. the idea. Idea that we're about to discuss a film that we've talked about discussing on the podcast for a very, very long time. We are. Um, 
there's no preamble to this. We're talking about 1972's The Godfather, directed and co-written by Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, Mario Puzo also co-wrote the screenplay. It's based on his novel, correct? I yes. Think. Yeah. Yep. A worldwide bestseller at the time. Yeah. Uh, other things that you already know, it stars Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, James Caan, Robert Duvall, Diane, or, Diane uh, Keaton. Diane yeah. Keaton. Um, John Cazal. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Talia Shire. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Al Martino is in there. The list goes on and Alex on and Rocco. on. Abe yeah. Vigoda. Yeah, Abe um, Vigoda. Tessio, come on, man. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so the brief synopsis is the aging patriarch, played by Marlon Brando, Don Vito Corleone, of an organized crime dynasty in post-war New York City, transfers control of his clandestine empire to his reluctant youngest son, Mikey or Michael, played by Al Pacino. Um, what we learn in the opening scene of the film, we learn a lot about the Don, obviously. You come here on the day of my daughter's wedding, and you know, whatever. You just um, do a whole podcast like that, all three of us. And, and then, it's going to be hard not to slip in occasionally yeah, to be, uh, and, Vito Corleone. And then, you know, everybody's like, where's Mikey, where's Mikey? He hasn't shown up yet. He shows up with his girlfriend, Kay. And we learn about him that he's this decorated war hero. Yeah, yeah Marine uh, shows up in you know his full his whole dress get up, attire, yeah, yeah. Um, military dress. Yeah, it's called dress something. Um, and you know, at some point, he this is where the he made him an offer he can't refuse line first comes up is he's describing to Kay how uh, his dad helped. Johnny Fontaine yeah. right, right. Uh, get his start in the music business mm-hmm. and um, and he right. says but that's my family that's not me and so we learn right off the bat or you know we're led to believe that he's seeking a different life outside of organized crime yeah. and so I mean for to, in my eyes the film is really the descent of that character Michael that's like the main like through line throughout mm-hmm. is we're watching him go from being kind of separate and above the organized crime family business. Uh, and the families come to terms with the idea that Michael's not going to be involved. Yeah, and they're fine with it. Or it's it. going to be a different kind of, right? They, they kind right. of want him to be, I mean, it, there's precedence for that. Like you think about the Kennedys, right? That, you know, Joseph Kennedy made all this money in illicit, you know, uh, bootlegging, and so, but wanted his sons to go on to be senators and, right. and presidents. To, to understand a different game at a much higher level. Right, and I think that's what Vito has in mind for Michael. Like he, yeah, he he's going to be the one I never governor for senator. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he yeah. does say that at one point. Um, but yeah, that all, you know, happens through the attempted assassination of the Don and then that's, you know, and it's, well, I mean, yeah, the film, you've, you've set it up well. And I think the synopsis is right that it's, you know, it's primarily focused on this family with this aging patriarch who is also the the father of the crime family, not just his own biological family. Um, But it's against the backdrop of a war, an all out war that kind of breaks out among the major crime families, the five families of New York. This is set in New York. Um, in like you said, that post-war period, forty-five to fifty-five, and uh, the Corleone family is very heavily involved in it. Uh, this war that they're having, and uh, and and that eventually kind of draws Michael into it be- for various reasons, right? I mean, yeah. um, his the brother who's really being groomed to take over the criminal enterprise is Sonny, the James Con character, um, but he doesn't stick with us through the whole film, does he? 
No. I mean, that's not a spoiler, folks. This came out in 72. We're talking about 50 years. (laughs) He's a hothead. And it's a fairly famous death scene. You know, one of the most famous death scenes. It is one of the... That's as soon as, like, that toll booth kind of came into play. I was like, oh, I know. I remember once about it. I haven't seen this movie in, like, 12 years. Yeah. And I've only seen it once prior to viewing it for this podcast. So, you know, I just had kind of, like, images stuck in my head and didn't quite remember... If you asked me to like describe the plot to you, I wouldn't have been able to do it. But okay. I'm like, oh, I remember. Obviously, everyone remembers the quotable lines. Everyone remembers the horse head, uh, and then the tollway massacre. Yeah. Um, uh, the getting the gun from behind the toilet, the shooting yeah, of Sawazo and the police chief. Yeah, with the taped butt of the gun and everything. Um, but that was one thing that I remember. As soon as I saw that like image, yeah. I was like, oh, oh shit, this happening. is what's happening yeah. right yeah. now. In but, stark contrast to, you're right, a darker tone in the film, it's a full light of day. When yes, gets, in, that, in that sequence, yeah. Right, Sonny absolutely. gets clipped. So, you know, Joe has said openly on the podcast, this is favorite film? Favorite film of all time. Favorite film of all time. We know this is a top many lists of many various it's on types. All the lists. Um, you know, just greatest films of all time in general, but certainly greatest gangster films, greatest uh, you know, films of the 70s, what whatever, you know, kind of list it might fit on. Uh, you know, Carlos as you're saying, a little less familiar with it. You know the film obviously. Yeah. Um, but but I haven't really declared how you feel about it uh, publicly before, maybe. And I don't know that I've gone on about it. But this is certainly a film that I I grew up knowing about. I know that, um, you know, it was one of those films where before I ever saw the film, I knew how important it was yeah. because it was getting referenced on things. People would talk about it. And if I remember correctly, it was one of those films where eventually, you know, I got curious enough where I told my dad, oh, what, what, have you ever watched The Godfather? And he, oh, yeah, you, we should see that. And I remember going to the video rental store and... The Godfather, because this is a you know a lengthy film, right? Almost three hours. Is yeah. it three hours? Yeah, um, two, like two, two VHS. So yeah. like that, like brick yeah. of a VHS uh, case on the shelf there with the Godfather and the Godfather Part Two right next to it. Um, which we're not doing this episode. Why are there two, Dad? Because it's three hours long. What the fuck have I asked for? (laughs) Well, that's it. Now, I... It's better than finding the Titanic VHS tape and seeing that it's two. Because then it's like, oh, shit. Why have to sit through two (laughs) VHS tapes of this? Right. Um, I I, I actually, back in that era, especially because... Look, now that like movies are quote unquote available, like I already have my platform subscription, so I get to see whatever's on there, right? And I... and because I have more demands on my time maybe than when I, when I was a kid, like I like a good tight 90 minute film in a way that I didn't back then. Then I was thinking more bang for the buck. Like right. I actually got excited about the idea of two cassette because that's like I'm renting that and I have entertainment for like three hours tonight, not just an hour and a half. Like this is I'm, I'm paying for my entire evening here. So King of the Silver Linings. You know, <laughs> well, that's how I used from to look day at one, it. From day one. I struggle now where I'm like, oh, it's three hours. When am I going to have time to watch that? Yeah, <laughs> the film comes, like you said, with a ton of expectation and reputation. And, uh, you know, I've shown it to my kids. I always, I enjoy watching The Godfather with somebody for their first time. I've yeah. done that four or five times probably. Right. I've owned it on every single... Well, you got four kids, so probably at least four times. Sure. Right? Every conceivable format I've owned this movie on. Uh, gifts, you know, whenever yeah. you say it's my favorite. Uh, the Blu-ray comes out, someone's going to give it to me for a present. So, 
knowing that Carlos had only seen it once and then that 12 years ago, you know, I'm very eager to hear yeah. what, what, he, what he thinks. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I'll quickly just preamble with saying, to me, this is a perfect movie. I watched it again just, you know, for, the, for this. I watched The Offer, that Paramount Plus series. You've mentioned that on After Hours. Yeah, least, and then I maybe. watched... And then, of course, it says, you may be interested. And I was like, fuck it, let's go. And I watched one, and then I watched two. And I've only seen three once, and I have no intention of seeing it again. And you didn't watch the recut one that just came out a couple years ago. Right? I, I, I owned on VHS. Talk about a VHS buy. The, um, the saga? The saga that was recut in chronological order. It starts with... With additional scenes. Sure. Yeah. And I've, I used to own that, so I've seen that. I have not seen the. If there's a recent recut, I have not. Yeah, they did. Seen they did it. one in 2020. He did one in 2020, with um, uh, it it got it shortened it a little bit, and I think it changed some scenes around. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, nonetheless, it's mm-hmm. it, there is a. Much, I can't remember exactly what they call mm-hmm. it, but he claims Coppola claims that he's much more happy with it now and feels that it does better justice to the work they did. And I think at least Diane Keaton and Al Pacino have publicly come out and said that they both like that film better oh, than cool. the film that, that made out, it to theaters. I think that the acting is stellar. I think that the, each character is given so much great things to do. So while the film is, I think I completely agree with you, Carlos, about I mean the, the end shot with the door closing, Michael's descent from... Well, it's a the choices that he and makes. And an ascent, yeah. right? I mean, you're right. Like, if you think about it as a... The, the story of a man who was on a pathway to a l- luminous career in the public eye, like a politician or leader of industry or something, but changes tracks to be mm-hmm. instead the leader of this criminal enterprise. Right. It, it is a, a story of dissent. But if you think about it as a guy who really doesn't necessarily have a clear direction in life, being brought into his family business and becoming the leader of that family business and one who really very definitively takes over that industry in, in a pretty, you know, uh, dramatic fashion as the film is closing. Yeah. It's kind of a story. Because, you know, think about the the basic idea of the gangster film before this. Yeah, hi, <laughs> was usually Is usually the tale of the guy who's have has the ascent of he becomes a criminal boss mm-hmm. of sorts. He's, you know, like he starts out as an underling and he works his way up and he's tougher than the rest, smarter than the rest. Ends knocks up, off somebody to get exactly a takes the right opportunity right. at the right time and then he ends up at the top of the pyramid only to be locked up killed whatever you know like having a mm-hmm. descent from from outside the world but here you have a gangster film that's actually kind of you know again it's showing you this other version of that and not necessarily giving this character his comeuppance at the end right this isn't the crime doesn't pay folks story no. oh no it's the opposite of that yeah crime so pays, pays pretty when, well. you, when you do it right yeah yeah i don't i don't fully understand this being anyone's favorite movie respectfully <laughs> I, I, i'm here to listen um but it's only because for me Here's an analogy I just came up with. It would be like watching Steph Curry shoot a hundred percent from the field in a game, uh-huh. but all he shot were, but the, but he only took layups. 
Okay. It's okay because because he's known for three pointers or just anybody. Anybody really. should anybody be able to mix in like, some three pointers. Anyone so. that shoots hundred percent, like you present that stat line and you're like, oh dang, they shot hundred percent and they had thirty points. That's amazing. But then you say, like, but then they're but like, they oh, were, but they were doing the easy. But they were literally all layups. They were all like fast break. You know, whatever. It's yeah. like, oh well, that's not quite as exciting, huh? Because uh, there's you know there's no dunks. There's you know the, the flash and flare of like the game. Oh, is that's in interesting. On and so with this one. Is it is it like a uh, does it clearly display a mastery of the craft? Like yeah, for sure. It's like an unbelievably well made film in every aspect. Like the when you go down that list of stuff, cinematography, acting, that it hits yes, all. It hits them it's all, all there. The score is great. The performances are great. The cinematography is great. It's does a pretty decent job at s- storytelling, given the like unnoted like. The, the fact that we're able to know that we've just jumped like two years into the future because there's a baby present, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Where there's it's some like, compressed time stuff they this handle This film drops well. you in the grease, don't interrupt too much, the, the, uh, from the <laughs> wedding scene where you know nobody and meet about 40 people. Right. Yeah, and then right. but it's also a half an hour, yeah. and there's not a lot. <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah, but there's not a lot of. There's a little bit of exposition. The, the speech with Kay and Michael, where he tells the story of Johnny Fontaine. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, the well, and there's you know Vito in his office mm-hmm. meeting with these people yeah. throughout the day, who yeah. are you know because the tradition there is the father of the bride grants whatever favor he's asked during his daughter's wedding right. day yeah so there's a whole like bunch of business that goes right. on like, the office you know he, he whacks people you know yeah. <laughs> you know he yeah 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 um but then that continues and, and as i've watched it with newbies i don't like to talk that's salazzo remember he's the one you know i don't yeah, like to yeah, do that yeah. however i often find myself being at tell me who that one is and again and to the point to where it's like there are five families. These are the names of the families. Yeah. Da, 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 da. But sh- no, no, just keep on watching. Keep watching. I promise it'll all work out. <laughs> With this movie in particular, I think if somebody did that to me, not that they would, because I'm not an authority on the subject, but I would be like, trust me, by the end, you'll have figured it out. You yeah. Know? And and there's some names that it's not as important that you even hang on to as much as just where they fit into the puzzle. Like, it, yeah. it's really, you know, it's a story of the Corleone family. And yes, there are all these people who work for them or against them. And they're important insofar as they're, you know, parts of the various struggles and obstacles that they have to work through in the film. But it's really, at the end of the day, about what does this do to the Corleone family? And in particular, where does Michael end up because of all this? Yeah. Um, but to cap, to just to quickly cap off my analogy, is that be, I do... I, it's not that there's not like flash and flare in this film because like there are like, you know, a, there's a lot of cinematography happening that's just like great to look at and there's lots of yeah. stuff. But whereas when you watch someone shoot 100% from the field and they took five threes and they had two dunks and, uh-huh. you know, all this other stuff, you leave like, man, that was an exciting basketball game that I just watched and I can't believe this guy did that. What an amazing performance from this athlete or whatever. I didn't leave this movie feeling like, oh man, I just, I want to keep thinking about this. I want to keep talking. Like, I, I, it didn't like, I, I finished it and I was like, yeah, that was good. That, that was one of the best made films probably ever. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that was it. Well, I, no, I just, I, it, I hear where you're coming it from. It didn't leave me pondering any like existential questions or any like, I didn't have any kind of philosophical like musings at the end of it. I mean, I think, I hear where you're coming from. There's I not do. a ton of just like, there's not even a ton of like, man, what would you do in that situation? It's like, I don't know. My family's not the mob. Like, you know, like, I mean, to a certain extent, you can understand, you can, I think, I think there were, there's a ceiling on the relatability of the characters because you can, like, from the, you know, at the time that Michael makes the decision to insert himself in the family's affairs, they're not. I mean, you know, his dad's been shot. Was he going to make it? Was he not going to? There's like emotions running high, you know, because someone, you know, tried to murder one of your family members. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I don't think anyone in this room would be like, mm, I should probably murder multiple people in response to this. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's no, like, no. If, that's, if that is your occupation of choice and you want to be the king of it, then. For sure. But know, he didn't even want to be the king of it at, the, he at didn't. that point. I, I think it boils down to when he says the famous line, I'm with you now, Pop. I'm with you now, Pop. While he is in the hospital. Um, Which, after, correct uh, me when I'm wrong, is after he comes back from Italy? No, 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 no. This is before. Okay. This is okay. before he leaves. This is this is the night that Chief McCluskey. The, the one oh, just yeah, 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 yeah. Where and that where that is really a turning point for him too. Where right. I think that kind of shows, like, because there is going to be this attempt, and the cops are in the other he's family's already pocket. Been, already one gonna... assassination attempt, and now the 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 table has been set for a to, for them to finish the job. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's under the direction of Sonny. Right, and Michael at that point, I think, understands. Sonny's is going is going to fail this thing because of his you temper. Know, temper. He's, he's hothead and his uh, lack of strategy. Right. He 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 he's all uh, he's all like bullheadedness. He's yeah. all like, it's all brute strength. It's just and, react know. in the moment. You you hit me. I'm going to hit you harder. Right. And not think about oh how is that hit going to land and what's the repercussion of it. Sure. Which and, Vito is. Because what happens when Sonny dies? Vito plays chess. He doesn't go out. Yeah. He doesn't go out for instant retribution. No. In fact, he, he uses it. We're done. He uses it as a token to say, "Look, yeah. I'm not going to take this step. We can work together here. I'm willing to overlook this. We need to stop the craziness." Yeah. Now that sets the table for other things to happen. But it's you know you see the strategist in Vito. You don't see that at all in Sonny. Sonny yeah. yeah. And maybe if he was getting the support to be able to go out and do whatever thing he wanted to he could have some level of short-term success. Yeah. But no one else in the organization is really on board with what he's doing, especially the Duvall character, Hagen. Hagen, uh, yeah. Yeah. Who's not undermining him, but also not like... Well, he's a strategist. I mean, Hagen is more in league with Vita. I mean, he supports that kind of leadership, not the, I'm going to go out from my gut and do all that. I, 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 getting back to what you're saying, I, I hear where you're coming from, Carlos. But, you, you know, it's interesting what's relatable and what's not. I mean, I, obviously, I don't find Fast and Furious movies relatable, but I can enjoy the shit out of them and, and, and yeah. be excited about it. You know what I mean? It's like I'm not going to be, you know, dom at any point in my life. That's not the kind of family I lead. And dare to dream. You never know. David, dare to dream. Dude, I can't even remember, like, I'm gonna get what you model a- of car I drive. Let alone, <laughs> I mean, honestly. I'm going to get you a 12-pack of, of Corona for Christmas, <laughs> and we're going to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Why, what do you got under the hood of that thing? I, I, I don't An know. An engine? Oh, yeah. Wait, no, you're driving a Tesla. Okay, no engine yeah. then. <laughs> don't ask me how that works. Um, but but I hear where you're coming from. It To me, though, I, I think... 
part of it might be, I don't know. I, I feel like this film can suffer in some people's eyes. And I didn't necessarily hear this in what you were saying, but I'm just going to put out there where I've heard like maybe students react to it in the past or pe people I've talked to who, especially younger than me, where I think this film got so baked into our culture and became a part of these other things in mm -hmm. ways that you've seen the reverberations already felt the reverberations and then you go back to that original like you know the stone that kind of hit the water that started it mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel quite as impactful because we talked about well, that I've already Jaws. seen it yeah, yeah yeah I've already kind of seen how this plays out yeah so so I get it I think I saw this early enough like I said I was becoming aware of its impact in culture mm -hmm. but I hadn't seen a lot of gangster films at that point I hadn't seen um you know, I, I think a lot of film roles by Al Pacino or Marlon Brando, and I mean, I've seen Pacino and Dick Tracy at this point already, well, and that's, that's a much how better gangster performance. How are you ever going to overcome you know, that? Yeah. Much more believable mob boss yeah. in that film. So, so I think, <laughs> I, I think depending on how you come to it, and I think it's hard these days to come to it as a younger person, unless you come to it very, very young to really avoid the idea that some of this is going to feel like, oh, it's already been done, right? These are easy layups. These, this, is, this is work that's done all the time in other places without thinking about, well, yeah, but this actually kind of did it all in a way that hadn't been done. Like I said, it really changed the way that people think about gangster films or what they could be. It really initiated this era where we could explore these characters in more nuanced and less like... Again, it didn't have to just be the story about how this person fell from grace, but how these people actually do maintain long careers in these industries at times, what, through luck and strategy and, 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 and whatnot. And the bad guys, but they're given everything that I can relate to. Families, weddings, um, uh, camaraderie at work, you know, making the sauce, how you make the sauce. Tell that woman you love her, you know, tell that woman. Yeah. It's so relatable. They're not these like seedy, decrepit villains. But when they are called upon to push a button, they go and do their job. Right. Right. And, you know, I think the, the other thing being that this film, that Coppola made the very conscious choice. He's talked about this ever since it was, I mean, when he was writing it, he was talking about that he didn't see this criminal enterprise that these people are engaging in as being all that different than most legitimate quote-unquote industries uh -huh. in the United States he saw this much more as a sort of amplified and unfettered version of capitalism at play this is what happens when you totally deregulate and you create a situation where people can do whatever they want to get to the top of whatever ladder they've created you know whether that be the drug trade prostitution it's a little more honest olive oil racketeering well in some ways it is right yeah. that's I mean I think it, it, it has some virtues yeah. <laughs> in, in terms of people know where they actually stand where yeah. you know or they're not pretending mm -hmm. I mean sometimes they are but but to each other, they're not pretending to be something other than what they, you yeah. know, are. So I, I think that aspect of it comes through where you don't feel like their activities are being judged in a way that separates them from the rest of society. And, and there's also a tabloid element to the them. Uh, yeah, the the press. There's a yeah, couple of montages of the press about talking about the gang war and while. Uh, Purported, purported gang boss Vito Corleone shot. Right. Well, that means that everyone that reads the New York Times, whatever paper they're emulating there, 
knows that at least he's alleged to be this yeah. thing while he is able to continue being the thing. Right. And, and that and that was a reality. All those politicians was, you yeah. keep in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. what um, Al Capone, right? Yeah. Was John Gotti I mean, later, but yeah, like I mean the, the people who rose Who's the to the public enemies guy. Uh, John Flavor Flav? Oh, you mean the film Public Enemy? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is Johnny well, Depp? Oh, a, oh, Dillinger, Dillinger, John, John Dillinger, right? Though he was a smaller time, but he, but yes, he was a criminal, well known. I mean, yeah. and Bonnie and Clyde. I mean, we we could talk about like how outlaws, famous, you know, whether it be like truly deeply organized crime, like a mafia crime family, or even just you know smaller clusters of people who are working together, have had notoriety in that yeah. kind in that way since before films. You know what I mean? Like that it was happening in the late nineteenth mm-hmm. century. I easily. mean, there are establishments here in our own town that are it's pretty well known were started from from mob loans and stuff like that you know wow like, would that check out after hours folks <laughs> full, full list from our new bulletproof bunker yeah. <laughs> um, well it, but that's one of the amazing things too about this film is this is a film and i don't know i'm sure the offer gets into i have not watched the mm-hmm. offer yet but um i did listen to al ruddy's interview yeah, on too. uh mark maron Talk surprisingly uh, little about The Godfather. Yeah, More I guess like I did stories overall, in Hollywood. But yeah. there, were, there were a few. T- a little bit. But, but uh, nonetheless, uh, the, the, uh, the organized crime families of that moment, mm-hmm. the ones who were operating, especially based in New York in the 70s, and now this is depicting 30, 20 to 30 years before. But nonetheless, they were worried yeah. when it was being made because it was a pretty high-profile film. Gangster films hadn't been at the top of the box office for a long time. And uh, so this was a known project. This was something that was happening and big stars getting involved, uh, at least with Brando and, and, uh, and a few others. Khan had a bit of a name. That Pacino, not so much. He was kind of an unknown. This yeah. really helped launch him. Um, but nonetheless, worried that this was going to be a real negative. They generally, from all reports, loved this film. They, yeah. they thought it was a fantastic rendering of what they did. I think it's for the reasons that I discussed. They weren't portrayed as just, you know, Serial killers, you know. Yeah. I, I have a question that I ask sometimes. Uh, what do you think... Okay, Michael is in love with Kay, right? We're to assume that they're on their way to getting married. You he know, dra- that's... It, he drags her into the wedding photo, which would have been a big deal. Sure, sure. Been, yeah. You know, but you're, before you go on, because I just want to make a comment there. It's interesting, though. As I've gotten older and seen this film, that relationship does not feel real to me. Like when I was a kid, I was willing to just accept, like, okay, they like each other. I get no chemistry between the two of them at either. any point in the mm-hmm. film. I, it's a, it's an interesting. I think it works fine. I don't think it's like destroys the film on any level. But I feel like you could have really had a couple. And I've heard that, and maybe you've seen it. And I've heard there are some scenes that got cut where maybe they were more playful together, like maybe a bedroom scene or something that, that happened. Yeah. And I, I do feel like watching this as I get older that that is lacking a little bit. Like I want to understand why he would be... Because there's... I don't know if you're building to it, but the sequence where he goes to Sicily that's to hide the, out... That's what I was building to. Uh, after he kills Salazzo and the police chief, he's got to get out of town because he knows that, that the other four families will be They're coming, all coming after, after him. him. Yeah. He meets a girl struck by a thunderbolt, uh, Apollonia, and they marry in quick succession. And I was just curious what you guys take were on that motivation of marrying this Italian stranger, knowing that someday he's going back home. I, I'm befuddled by it, to be honest. <laughs> no, I, mean, I, I think it works for the film in the sense that 
you know, he goes off and has this kind of almost dream, like romantic dream it's of shot, like, it's shot an, differently. It is. Yeah. It looks different. It's another life. It's like, Oh, what if I was, and you know, he's wearing different clothes. He's very like rustic yeah. attire. You know, yeah. the, what do you call those caps that he's wearing? I don't know. Yeah. It's just whole different look, whole different. It's like, he takes this opportunity to have this imagined other life. Um, outside the, the mafia, outside New York, outside his family's sort of orbit. And I don't know. I mean, I think it works because it, I, I think for the character, it brings him into this space where he experiences this kind of purity and innocence or something. And then obviously that gets crushed and, and it sort of reminds him that like, no, the world isn't a place where I can live this way. Like well, it reminds him of the stakes and it gives him uh, another taste, another uh, reason for revenge. Right. I, I actually, I feel opposite to you on, oh, okay. on, on what it does for his character. I think what we see is a, a guy coming into himself in a way where he begins to realize that if he wants it, he can have it. And I think that that real, oh. I think that, that scene really like I think the scene where his buddies are talking to the guy about the girl that they saw and he realizes that it's this guy's daughter it's in that moment when he takes control of that situation and is able to spin well, it into true. his benefit he, dro he drops his name which does bear weight over there yeah and so he realizes that whatever my desire is is attainable like I and the master of my own reality and though it is taken away from him it is but i think I mean, and we should stop saying it she she, she is taken away from him. um that's I mean, that's true the, the, and so i and so i think when he comes back his um rekindling big air quotes on that romance with k is purely transactional yeah, that and and I guess maybe it's supposed to feel that way at yeah, that point. Yeah, maybe like, this is a because strategic. How, how long have you been back? And then they say a year, a year, yeah. maybe more. Yeah, is what and he all says. of a sudden it's like I am back. Yeah, it is time for us to continue the track that we were on before I left. With no, which, with, which with no think, explanations of where I've been and why. Right, yeah. which I think points to that he is he's moved into a phase where he is purely a strategist. He's doing these things. It's just business. Because, right, it's business. Like, this is the kind of, I want a respectable family. I want yeah. this woman who's kind of outside mm -hmm. the mafia to be the mother of my children. And mm -hmm. my children, because he, I mean, I think is thinking like Vito. Like, my kids are going to be different than me. They're not going to be part of this yeah. thing. Like, I will. He's thinking but. ahead. But I think, so I think that that scene in, or that sequence in Italy has two things. One, it gives him that confidence where if I want it, I can have it, right? Yeah. And then when she's murdered and that whole, and like, you know, this like whirlwind fairy tale kind of romance that he caught himself up in is taken it's then that he realizes it that's what that's what hardens him that's what makes him like yeah that, that that's well, what that's... makes him cold and calculated and so those two things happen in such quick succession that he's that there's no like emotion in him anymore i agree with that i, I don't think we're that far apart i think what you're saying there is yes he like awakes from this romantic slumber now in that romantic slumber he wields his power, he uses it, and he's like, 
he kind of shows that he discovers do, his power in a sense. Yeah. And uh, though I think he, he's approaching that with the assassination and he knows like I can make this kind of bold move for my family and kind of, but, but he's still but it, protecting his dad. I, I mean, I, I it's get, also like the difference between like, um, you know, knowing intellectually what something is like and then experiencing yeah. it, you know? Cause like, I think that first like hit of it, yeah of like actual like uncut like i'm a powerful person yeah I, I just have to drop my name and i can have whatever i want like he's always known that when he's in the a marine dress the you know dress attire yeah. he he knows that his name is attached to this crime family and he could do that but he's like no nah, you know i'm doing this other thing whatever but then once it happens and he gets that taste of it yeah he wants more of it then all that happens where it's like the emotion's gone and now he's like well this is I can just do this and I don't care. Uh, you know, yeah. People will die. Sure. Whatever. But I'm going to do what I have to do to yeah. do this, get to the, you know, straighten my family out, protect my father and my wife and kids. And, you know, here's my second Whoever question. else is still alive in his family. Have you seen Carlos? Have you seen Godfather two? I've seen them all. You have. Okay. Uh, Did, I, I remember nothing. Of yeah. I would suggest uh, while you're, got Godfather on the brain to watch two again because De Niro's performance in that movie is probably my favorite performance film performance to watch of all time who was supposed to be in this film really playing Sonny yeah oh interesting he, he was he was essentially cast and then decided Khan to is leave. a better Sonny probably I mean we'll never know right because we didn't see it I mean I, I I agree I think Khan was a good choice here oh, yeah. and he does it really well but no if I remember correctly uh, Pacino was actually attached to a movie called The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight mm -hmm. that was being made around the same time. Mm -hmm. And then he had dropped... Had to be let out of that contract. He had to get yeah. let out of that to do this, but that opened up that role, and De Niro decided to go for that role instead and leave this project. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, but, but comes back in for the second, I mean, which that had to have been a no-brainer at that point. Look, this is one of the biggest films yeah, of all I, I time. I think you're an and, Academy Award for that, and yeah. you know, they don't really put a lot he of... He wins for... Part two, two, part yes. two. Yeah. The, this had to have won a lot, right? It won actor for Brando. Uh, Best picture. One picture. Uh, did he get director for this? No, I don't know. Screenplay, probably, right? One, three, or four. I think it got cinematography. So, like, it it did well. It got a lot of noms too. That it did. I'm really mixed on Brando in general. And the studio was very. I find not. I, I find him irksome yeah. as a person, as an entity. We'll yeah. get. We'll certainly get way more into it in the second half I, of this episode. Yeah, we will. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll touch on that. I think it works in this film. I it think, does work in this. I film. think he, uh, in terms of this very distinctive vision of who this guy is, it works. It feels like a fully fleshed out character, and it doesn't feel like Marlon Brando to me, even though it's his, one really of his iconic matter. roles. Like if I see any, well, of he's this, got cotton balls in his. He's mouth, got cotton balls know? in his mouth. He's, He's got the affected voice. He's, you know, and I'm interested about the cotton ball thing because it doesn't look natural. Like it looks well, weird. I hear what you're saying, only because it looks like he has cotton balls in his mouth. If if you know what he looks like normally, I feel True, like I fair. feel like if you've never seen Marlon Brando and you just see the image of Vito Corleone, you just think it's a guy who's got kind of jowly. Like you know, there are people whose faces hang a little, like they have extra skin on the cheek. That's that, the, but they're it's bulgy. That's the part that's odd. Is it, it's kind of bulgy. It's intense, I think, but I, I know. but it's not. It's not grotesque to a point where I'd no, be like, oh, that person has grotesque. had some sort of facial, you know, has a, you know, an extra prosthetic thing that's like, 
making them that way. But I think, yes, comparing it to what Marlon Brando normally looks like, you know something's up that, that he, he's done yeah, that. It was interesting. It won actor, picture, and best adapted screenplay. Nominated. So he won it for screenplay, nominated not Nominated for, for a director. bunch of other things. Yeah, okay. And, but it, Who the fuck won director? That year? Yeah. Uh, it was all... The big one... All that jazz, I think, was the big... Uh, that was later. That was was it? Well, that's Fosse. I, th- I think that was a little later in the seventies. I don't know. That that is a good uh, question. I'm gonna look this up because nineteen seventy three Oscar winners. Yeah. Seven. Oh yeah, because this would have yeah, been. This was the seventy three Oscars. Yeah. Um, well, it, yeah, and I, I think uh, you know th- this is a film that obviously had a huge box office success. Yeah, it did like a hundred million, right? Like Domestically, that. and then I think yeah. you know worldwide, closer to like two. Cabaret is what I was thinking. Okay, there not, you go. The earlier Fosse, yes. So did he win Best Director? I'm looking for Cabaret, probably. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so you know, it 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 had in, but then because when I think when the studio was releasing this, they weren't really thinking this was an awards film, right? It got released pretty early in March, right? March of 72. So like a year before the next Oscar, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're putting this out, not during the prime time to be putting mm-hmm. out awards bait films, but it was, it had such staying power. It was doing so well at the box office right through the year that it kind of stayed at the top of critics' minds. Yeah, that was yeah. when a movie could stay in the theater for six, eight months. It was right? very different yeah, time. There, there weren't 3,000 screens. You know, it, it, it had to, Oh, it did like you mean it didn't open at three? Yes, no, no, the, yeah, correct. Yeah, it was one of the largest, if I was not like, the I think 3, largest. Screens exist. Um, <laughs> it was the first film, one of the first films to to release all at the same time across the country, rather than the rollout. Yeah, and the only other rebuttal I had to your analogy is that no one was dunking like Michael Jordan until Michael Jordan started dunking that way. No, that's fair. Yeah. So you. Well, so, that, there you go. I think that's actually a so. Good. This film. Was pre Jaws, right. pre Star Wars, yeah. the first, not the first, but the biggest blockbuster of its yeah. time, and you know special effects and that kind of like whiz bang. Now you see the Sopranos and you're like, man, there's a lot of fucking whiz bangs, some three pointers, like, you know, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it all comes some from like you or, said. or even Goodfellas, right? I mean, just, even earlier than that, these films that came after it that then folded in some other elements. It's yeah, it's a, it's an interesting. Uh, yeah, Question, I how, how yeah, to... the what what both of you said, Joe, what you just said, and David earlier about having seen everything that has paid homage, ripped off, been influenced by this movie. It is. I agree that it is hard to watch it with the idea of, and, and we talked about this recently. February thirteenth, nineteen seventy, Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath oh, comes out. Yeah, yeah, and like. Sure, like certainly my musical knowledge runs a little bit deeper than my film knowledge, so maybe it's a little easier for me to put myself in that position. I'm just like, can you fucking imagine this? You know what I mean? And it, and Black Sabbath is slightly more subversive than The Godfather is. Yeah, but yeah, it it is yeah. It, to to think that you know we were getting these like caricature esque like mob movies before this, and for someone to take a mob movie and make it at like a Lawrence of Arabia scale or you know whatever epics had come before that you want to compare it to is but it does it does for me it's tough because I did know all the references before I saw it it's just it's got a little too much steam behind it for someone like 
you know, as someone like me to go in and just be like, yeah, I'm probably going to agree with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, um, and I, th- but, but I think it's also expectations w- are like insane. You know, as time goes it. on, that's how more and more people are going to see this film, right? Like the, yeah. the reality is, is that, you know, when we're looking at a film like this, Citizen Kane's 99% now. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this film is 50 years old. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty crazy. So yeah. now you're beginning to, I mean, it's a classic in that it's very good. Yeah. People love it, but it's also a classic in that, you know, when I was born, uh, the similar film would have been from 1922. Right. So <laughs> would have been a it's, silent yeah. film. Yeah. It's like it's like how The Cure is getting pretty close to being considered oldies. You know, what <laughs> oh, I mean? they are. Like, yeah. pretty, I mean, it's, especially <laughs> if you see a picture of Robert Smith today, <laughs> sure. you can't argue with it. But you know, when you were a kid, you were listening to oldies. I was listening to new release albums that were you know. Mind-blowing. Oh yeah, but but oldies was like Duop or Buddy Holly. Sure. Or, oldies you know. was twenty years before. Now we're talking about forty, yeah. and yeah. we're still bristling at calling it oldies. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. It, it is weird. I was having a conversation with yeah. someone the other day in the shop about like if we just look at it from a time perspective Van Halen is oldies now right yeah. but nobody's yeah. going to call it that what are we going to start calling it you know well, hasn't yeah. it fallen under the classic rock heading for a long time yeah, Guns and Roses and, and, and is I guess classic that rock and that just blows my that gets yeah, interchanged with rock. dad rock right yeah. I mean dad rock classic rock it's, and that's just what we're calling it now for now it's now it's not oldies it's classic rock yeah yeah, yeah. well Guys, this is clearly whether you think it's as groundbreaking as it felt at the time or whatever. It's it's a film that you can't refuse well, its on. charms. Let oh. me clarify my statement. I I don't dispute. I was it's about ground- to have a great segue there. I'm so, so sorry. This better be worth it. I'm so sorry. It. I don't right. I don't dispute its groundbreakingness. <laughs> yeah. But does it feel that way fifty years yeah. later? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to. I, it broke step ground. On. It changed. It changed. Yeah, yeah. It just does it feel yeah. as impactful as as earth shattering as it once did um you know but for most of us this is a movie we can't refuse on some level even you 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 can't refuse its charms no it's a very good movie can we refuse the charms of the na black ale from hairless dog brewing company out of minneapolis minnesota i, I didn't taste it but i did get that whiff of the nose and i i would not have looked forward to maybe putting it in my mouth wait uh so yeah i can't wait to hear what you guys thought it grew on me over time. Okay. Uh, could I refuse it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, will I always refuse it? Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, it wasn't my favorite thing in the world, but it did grow on me. And by the end of it, I was like, oh, yeah. It's Maybe it's because I just miss beer in general. And so I'm just like, yeah, sure. Give it to me. It is more drinkable than I expected it to be based on the aroma. Facts. But it's it is too sweet it it's it to me it has like kind of a cloying unfermented wart character to it it does a little that bit that just to me is like ugh, i don't know of all the nas that we've had this is by far it's not even there's no refreshment here this isn't a refreshing beer this is a <laughs> this is like a it's like a dessert stout kind of thing but yeah. without the boozy sort of like you know, punch that, that mm-hmm. yeah. like there's balance there. This is imbalanced because it doesn't have the alcohol. This is the first NA beer we've had that I feel like the lack of alcohol is seriously hindering the flavor profile here. The other ones like, yeah. because they're going for lighter styles. I think I've been able to just kind of, Oh yeah, this works well enough. Sure. I'm, I'm kind of there, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd ever pick up a can of this again. I failed to mention that uh, hairless dog brewing is out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. I um, Minneapolis, Minneapolis, Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Um, 
Home I did have Prince. the third can of that Thunder Kiss coffee cream ale that I think we had last week. Yeah. Liked it. it was really yeah, that nice. was good. And that was a heavier style. Than, yeah. And, and, and I, they played it off better. Yeah, I would yeah. I would keep that keep that in the, yeah. in the in the fridge. This I probably wouldn't keep in the fridge. Yeah. But if someone handed me one, I'd be like, all right. Yeah. yeah. Or if I was at like a bar with some friends or a show or something and they had this and like, I don't know, non-alcoholic Lone Star or something. Maybe you'd go with this. Maybe. Huh. I haven't had non-alcoholic Lone Star. I think I'd still go with non-alcoholic Lone Star. You never know, but yeah. I'm sure there is something worse yeah. in the non-alcoholic realm than well, this. Well, we might give ourselves an opportunity to find out if there is something worse than this in the second half of the episode uh, when we try another non-alcoholic brew after the break. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to take that away from you yet. There was more of a count in there. Who's, uh, who's going to become the and we're back guy? I, can, I, I, I said guys, it in a past guys, episode. I can can it. You guys used to fight. I don't know, but I kind of like that maybe we'll bring back the fight. Maybe we'll figure out a way to, to kind of try to. <laughs> the person that pushes the button has the advantage. Has the advantage. So it's, it's maybe. Like, it's like you go into the bathroom and you find a laptop up behind the toilet. And then when you come out. <laughs> You know, I was thinking during the break, there was so much things we could have covered. I came with no agenda because I really just wanted to kind of converse yeah. and see what Carlos thought. But ah, such a good fucking movie. When Sonny beats uh, up the brother-in-law. Oh, that's a... It's so good. It's a, good it's a tour de force. Well, there you go. That's kind of a dunk. Yeah. <laughs> Bites his hand. Yeah. Oh, man. James Conn was my favorite part. Really. Uh, no, Conn's got a, a real intense energy about him. I, that... I, just, I also just like him in general. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Th- I can't think of many things that I've seen him in where I'm like, nah. I, I, I mean, I, I haven't I, seen a ton of his he, movies. He but. scares the shit out of me. Like when I, whenever I've seen him, like I remember he did a WTF episode, and I'm like, I would last five seconds around this guy. <laughs> I'd get out of the room because I would just feel like he could at any moment turn around, and just clock me in the face, yeah. and it would He's not good be out of character. Yeah, I yeah. Know, uh, like, you know. I can't remember what episode it was, David, but you said uh, that I you learned that I had never seen Thief and I needed to watch right, it, and right. I did. Yeah, and it it's it's oh, that's a great. Yeah. Well, we, we're spoiled. We we got to bring that on an episode. We in the will future. have to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we decided to go two dark non-alcoholic beers, dark, dark thick, movies. rich, yeah. to go with uh, a couple of dark films, both in cinematography and tone. And so uh, the second one. Their website, this is Bravus, B-R-A-V-U-S, Bravus, Bravus, I'm going to go Bravus. They are out of Anaheim, California, and their website says that they are the first ever non-alcoholic brewery, like craft dedi- dedicated. Craft brewery. Yeah, correct. Because, I mean, obviously we had O'Doul's on the market before these guys, and they, I mean, they, were, they, they make, were non-alcoholic. Do they make beers. actual beer? I think O'Doul's makes like a beer, though, don't they? I would think that O'Doul's. No, I, don't, I think it's just, but no, I, sure. no, you're right. They're made by somebody else. I'm just saying that. Okay, they are the first exclusively non-alcoholic craft brewery. That whatever, 2015. Not anybody else was really doing that. They were the first. Yeah, they do. They do use the word craft on purpose. So, this is their oatmeal dark, and this is what the website says. Talk about teeing up some expectations, Carlos. If you're a fan of Guinness. This is the brew for you. There is a non-alcoholic Guinness, by the way, with hints of chocolate, caramel, Sorry, and roasted we'll have to coffee. Maybe try that next week. Sorry, 
It's all right. It is extremely smooth and delightfully refreshing. Silver medal winner at the 2019 Great American Beer Festival. And since it also contains oats and therefore grain, I will not be enjoying it. But I did bring a beer that we talked about when we did that hoppy refresher from mm. Lagunitas for me to be able to enjoy in after hours that uh, can't remember from Sierra Nevada. So if nice. you're not an after hours person, become one today patreon.com slash beer and a movie podcast five dollars a month gets you a bonus episode every single week and make some new friends now yeah. i'm gonna say this one is not as intensely sweet may, on may, the may nose, I put my nose in your beer, sure, David? as the last one but it's got some of that character sure that, does. that the other does. one did it's not as intense but uh it pours nice and black so it's yeah. definitely got a stout look to it I, let me rotate this glass around i did rub my mustache over one half of that <laughs> and now you can decide. it also has that kind of like really light almost like oat colored head that a yep. lot of oatmeal stuff right. have, which L- is little nice. light brown tan head yeah. yeah that's um so it's got the look down i think the aroma is not off-putting in the way the last one was it's agree. a little bit worrying for me but just a little bit like this isn't one if we had had this first i would have been like okay i'm curious i'm just comparing <laughs> it to that last yeah, one yeah, where, yeah. where i was like out the gate uh no no for sure no, thank you so i'm excited to try this one out and you know i'd love to think there's a an na stout out there that could scratch that itch for me in the future if i wanted to stay alcohol free but have that kind of heftier roastier sure. um you know coffee aroma kind of uh, situation going we, on. we yeah. could have picked uh, we had available to us at our local place a, a couple dozen different options and uh, i went and grabbed these two because they were both dark that might be a theme but kind of you know with a blindfold on i didn't know anything about bravas or hairless dog so yeah i'm uh, hoping you guys enjoy these well thank you joe um, oh, yes. and, and especially when you're the guy who's truly abstaining um when it when it comes especially to the, these grain-based uh 11 more days tiktok i know um it'll be a month sober tomorrow yeah i'm 11 i'll be 11 days behind you an but interesting milestone Carlos, yeah. the difference between you and i is i intend on breaking that right but how we'll talk about that in after hours okay. interesting well, so we'll, we'll be sipping on this, uh, Carlos and I will, to, to give you our thoughts uh, as, as we close out the episode. But before we get there, we got to talk one more film, guys. Where do you um, go after The Godfather? Yeah, we, we, there was some discussion about what direction we go. We figured, you know, classic episodes, we do tend to kind of stick with maybe the same filmmaker. Um, and, and Coppola seems like an important enough one that we would want to stick with and, and cover a couple of his films. We threw out there the idea of maybe doing both, God, you know, The Godfather that we just did in the godfather part two that'd be a little too much maybe maybe and and uh and, and yeah it, it would get tough i think so probably the right decision we also talked about the conversation the film he did yeah. kind of between those that uh you know maybe we'll use on a future episode it's certainly worthy of our attention mm-hmm. um but instead we decided to jump a little bit further ahead in his career towards the end of the 70s um with the Vietnam set film Apocalypse Now, right? This is a film that came out in 79, sort of notoriously uh, fraught production um, that went on here. Though, you know, Coppola able to pull it off in, in a lot of ways because he had built up the kind of equity that he had in the film industry to be able to keep keep this project going, even though there were probably lots of times where yeah, they used the Philippines to double for Vietnam and there was supposed to be a six to eight week shoot that went on for 16 months. Yeah. I mean, that's fraught. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but the basic uh, plot here is we have uh, 
Captain Benjamin Willard, uh, who is sort of uh, in a tortured state of being as our, as our film begins, uh, having done some tours in uh, in Vietnam, wanting to be out when he's there, but right what the, you know, there's that the line like when I'm here, I all I can think about is being there, and whenever I'm there, I'm just thinking, when am I going to get back? You yeah, know? and also it's told that he has done a lot of covert missions, yeah. and I think the assumption is that he has seen some shit. Yeah, you know, he's he an assassin. Seen crazy shit. Yeah, they, he he he's somebody who gets sent in to do these very special missions that are often a bit more clandestine right. and not necessarily the on the official record mm -hmm. for uh, what military maneuvers are going on. And that's exactly what we see him get pulled into is another one of these missions where he's summoned to um, essentially go and neutralize this uh, rogue colonel in uh, the U.S. Army. Uh, he's, a, he's a, com a commander in the Special Forces who has gone rogue um, even cross the border over into Cambodia where the army is not supposed to be and sort of through a combination of the American troops that he had with him and these sort of, uh, you know, indigenous warriors of, of that location, the Montagna people, um, ha has this force assembled that are sort of s devoted to him as if he, you know, they describe it as if he's godlike, right? He's a demigod or something to these people. Um, and, and he's taken very aggressive tactics. He's killed people who were he was not authorized to kill, you know, uh, sort of initiated missions that the U.S. Army did not want to have yeah. initiated. So he's rogue, and, and they just want him neutralized, and they send Willard on this mission to do that. And Willard hooks up with this uh, river patrol boat, a PBR as it gets called, um, with, with a small crew. And the you know majority of the film is him making his way down this river in in the heart of Vietnam to find Kurtz the the uh, the rogue colonel character and neutralize him. Yeah, a series of vignettes almost uh, like an episodic notion of one adventure after another after another as you see and then analyze different types of characters that were in the the, uh, the Vietnam conflict. Yes, different types of fighting technique different types of ways to cope with and you know i mean i don't think that i mean the source material heart of darkness by joseph conrad there's no mystery here it's kind of spelled out for you throughout the film we are watching a descent into madness not only his own where he starts at a pretty he's kind of in a mad state yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. kurtz has they say gone mad as he's gone up this river and the crew that he's assembled with have their own bouts with, what are we doing? Why are we here? Oh my God, there's a fucking tiger because almost going to kill me. Yeah. Yeah. Never yeah. get off the boat. Um, <laughs> it should be noted some of the heavy hitters surrounding Martin Sheen in this movie. Uh, right. So Sheen is Willard. Yeah, is Willard. Up top, we get Harrison Ford very briefly, which was yeah. interesting to see a very, I mean, looks younger in this movie than he did in Star Wars to me. Even though it is yeah. just a little bit after. Just a little but, bit yeah, after, But it was probably yeah. being shot not that far from it because it took so long. Did you yeah. notice that's, the that's name true, true. on his uh, badge area? And not I didn't, know. G. Lucas. Oh. <laughs> wow. You're what right, a, what yeah. an ass, uh, George Lucas is. Uh, and then we get an amazing, amazing Robert Duvall sequence. Mm. Kilgore. My favorite yeah. part of the movie is that guy. Um, 
And then a surf obsessed lieutenant, a surf obsessed <laughs> lieutenant, a young young Larry Fishburne. Yeah, didn't even recognize. No, him. he's he's a, if if you're familiar with him more from his Matrix rolls on. Yeah, yeah this is a hard one to connect. Barely to. Yeah. recognized yeah. him. Uh, so you know, some recurring cast of characters of Coppola's, uh, some new ones as well. Um, I. I gotta say, this movie really made me want to watch Hot Shots Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> I loved you in Wall Street. Yeah, uh, that scene hits a lot different after you've seen this one, <laughs> and I did actually watch it right afterwards. Wow, <laughs> good That's movie. Great. Uh, but another example of just really epic, grand scale filmmaking. For sure. I mean, I, I think in some ways even more ambitious even, than even more. The Godfather. Way, 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 uh, Certainly way in more. terms of the Maybe location shooting they're doing. Maybe a or a three-pointer in this movie? <laughs> I mean, this is like watching a guy from the other end of the court continually trying to make baskets <laughs> and sometimes making them and sometimes making them and you're like, whoa, and oh, then other times fashion. being like, huh, did he, is he really doing that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm showing my cards here. I, it's not your favorite. I like this film. I can appreciate this film. This is a film that diminishes in my esteem the more I see it. Is and, that right? Yeah. I'd like to know more about that. It scene. doesn't... I don't feel like it is as profound a movie as I thought it was. I, You know how I saw this film the first time? Okay, so before you answer that question, it, you're right. It is not that profound, but yeah. it wants to be. Yes. Yeah. Uh, how did you see this movie for the first time? So in high school, we read Heart of Darkness. Mm -hmm. And my, I think it was maybe, it was junior or senior year. So we were old enough where the professor, or the teacher was comfortable showing us this film and knew that we would get some, like they'll like the fact they just read this novella that now like they get to see this reinterpretation of it. That is, a, you know, at the time, was already a classic film of sorts. It's always cool to see Playboy bunnies at school. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that scene <laughs> entirely. Are, that's but it, it that guy that's a pretty a, tame. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the violence is extreme at times. Bill Graham, uh, the actor who plays the agent or yeah. whatever, it looks so much like Chaz Palminetti or whatever that uh, guy's Ch name. Chaz Palminteri. Palminteri. Yeah, looks almost identical to uh, him. I, 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 I looked it that. up because I thought it was. I was no, like, yeah, oh, yeah. is that a young young Chaz yeah. P? No, but those are actually two of them are actual playmates from the '70s, not the '60s. And one of them is Colleen Camp, who who went on to have it. Well, um, she's a clue. Clue, yeah, 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 yeah. we've seen her in some things. Um, yeah, I, so but seeing it then, I think it really did. Like I felt like whoa, because well, for one, you know, Heart of Darkness is kind of a philosophical novel, right? I mean, it's like this, you know, what, what's the nature of man and where, where how how dark can you get and how you know far off the rails and um you know it felt like really deep and meaningful to me and seeing it kind of put into this context it was like okay this is I, I can go with this um as i see it as i get older i'm like i don't know but what is it really trying to say that i don't know what what it help me help me t tell me what i there's moments i like in this film yeah i think cinematography is excellent mm. I, I like the score um, you know, a lot of it. it. Even the, pop the cinematography songs, is amazing. I do like the use of the end, and I'm not a big Doors guy, and I'm and I'm not generally just like Gaga over that. But I think it's used in a 
appropriate way here and, and it's effective. Maybe a little too much, but maybe a little, but uh, but it's effective and it's memorable. Certainly, I remember yeah. that, that opening, I will never forget. You yeah. know what I mean? Like if him the in the doors hotel. doors is overused in movies, this is the movie that, did that it made first, that happen. You know? yeah, I sure. mean, and they did it. I, I agree with you on yeah. this small point. Fantastic I overused use of in that the movie. film. Yeah. I enjoy it because it comes back at the end. At yeah, he comes so, back yeah. in a big way. Yeah, I I enjoy the Kilgore sequence. Like, it's as you said, so fucked up. Well, it's it's, it's ter- so fucked up. And I, and I think that's where when the film like puts on display the casual sort of the casual callous attitude towards life that exists in war, and and you know maybe amplifies and exaggerates it to a certain extent although you know actually probably much worse happens and and it's much less um silly and and even darker than than what Kilgore is is doing in that yeah. scene right where he's like literally decimating a village so that they can just go surf, surf yeah. now they're also putting this boat on the river and it's like you know there's a couple but, of different but choices. the reason he yeah. wants to do it is because he can surf there with this other there's two there's two different entry points and he's that they could take right. and he's pretty uninterested and anything related to Willard's mission until he finds out about the there's good like surf in that one entrance six yeah. foot peaks and like breaks on both sides so and, we can have know. one go out that way and one go out the other yeah and then there's <laughs> surfboards on the helicopters mm-hmm. that there are like bombs exploding he's in playing, the ocean playing while to, to terrorize them yeah. as he's uh, you know coming in with his uh, crew which do you think they do you think that would have happened? I mean, I guess World War II was over 20 years prior well, to... Well, no, this was Nam. Vietnam. Well, yeah. Oh, you you mean... The whole Nazi thing, right? Like, wasn't... Oh, d- didn't the Nazi Nazis connection? Didn't love Wagner? Yeah, yeah. So, it's yeah. like... I don't know. I can't imagine. Like, we just... <laughs> the U.S. just, like, intervened yeah. to, like, take down this you know, whatever. Yeah, and then you're yeah. going to be blasted. I don't know. It just seemed interesting. Yeah. It yeah. works really well, though. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's parts of this that I like... But I just don't get pulled into this descent into madness through and like, and I it should. falls apart at the end, and and that's it. I and I think because it builds towards Kurtz, and I find Kurtz so uninspiring, and I'm like, how is this guy a demigod to these yeah. people when he's like laying on his back and just sort of, I I mean, I don't know, like I it, want yeah. a scene. Why wasn't there a scene in there where it's like? him rallying them or him leading them on something or like all we get are these verbal verbal reports of this guy having gone rogue and some of the stuff he did and some weird decisions he made like instead of continuing to ascend up the ranks in terms of like officer uh you know being an officer in the army he decides to go into special forces which essentially limits his career where he's not going to be able but he has such respect from all these people because he's you know he enters but, like the uh airborne division at like 38 which yeah. is pretty old for right. something like that right yeah so i mean i don't know it just i think it just builds to this thing that that ends up feeling like that character uh, that character falls flat in a big way i feel yeah. like i Brent, mean hopper Brando's talking perf- about him is so much more exciting yeah. than him dennis hopper is hopper's is, great it's great love yeah. him in this but yeah i think that's where the movie falls apart i did really lose steam. i was i was with this movie until they got to kurtz and then i just kind of lost some steam and then there's the scene where you know he's got the face paint and camo and he comes up out of the water and I'm like I know that and it kind of got me back into it a little bit but it just and and in the end where he's like 
he's killed the guy and so now he's the guy if he wanted to be right you know the whole all the people are looking at him like you're our guy now and he kind of drops the machete or whatever it was Mm -hmm. and like leaves a machete on a stick on a stick yeah that's right uh and you could there's definitely that should be more impactful than it is yeah but it's it's not interesting i mean the the famous like slaughtering of the water buffalo that's being that's sort a, of that pa- was parallel edited with yeah, his slaughtering, slaughtering of, Kurtz. of Kurtz. Yeah, which was something that people did not care for about this Right. Film. This this right this like, led to the uh, Peta, stronger right? well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if it Peta started like Peta, but it got <laughs> because it, of this. it got Hollywood to start actually having animal rights people on set who like monitor the production. Well, now, they were already that's rules. Why we, right, but now we see like those much like no animals were, were harmed, harmed in yeah, the making of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were yeah, I was I was reading about it because when that scene I mean, started, he also got flack for having the horse head in, in Godfather because that was an actual horse head. Oh shit. Though though that was was pulled from a dog food plant that it, the, like the oh, horse was okay. slaughtered for food and they don't use the head and, in that and, process. and the water buffalo was slaughtered for food they, well they, it's like they a thing did not it's a ritualistic that, they did yeah. not say hey let's get let's, let's yeah, buy a yeah, water yeah. buffalo and yeah. kill it they filmed an actual ritual yeah. that would have occurred had the filming not right, been there. right right yeah and that doesn't bother me no uh, that no honestly know. that doesn't bother me and i think it's i think it's a very effective part of that sequence more effective than kurt's being killed mm-hmm. like, like I, yeah. i'm more impacted by the water buffalo yeah i so didn't care about i can tell joe has a very different feeling i, didn't care about <laughs> no, I love this movie yeah I, okay, okay and i think it does hold up and you're I, a slut for coppola though I, i'm not uh I, it, godfather once he one, makes tucker father two he's no over. no tucker's i don't not a fan peggy sue got married no his career Ooh, uh, that's got to make it into a cage match dracula is a higher point uh, but it, you know, and I'm, I will go see Metropolis if it ever comes out. I think that's what it's called. The new one that uh, Shia LaBeouf is going to be in. Uh-huh. Uh, I think he was recently announced uh, to be attached to that. And this is one that I think has been long gestating in Coppola's mind. Coppola got sidetracked by Coppola's an interesting figure in the sense of art and commerce sometimes don't connect the way that um, we think Hollywood should connect them or we as fans believe that they might be connected. In what Megalopolis. Way? Thank you. He went so broke making this film and other films mm. because he insisted on creative control. Yeah. Well, the wine, he always had an interest in wine, as I understand it, and he bought a fledgling company, if, if I have this right. I hope, I hope I do. And turned his name helped turn that around. Uh, okay. When you go see a Francis Ford Coppola on the shelf at the beginning of that company is what really in oh this wine's actually oh, pretty okay. good. Interesting. Um, he, he's made his fortune in wine. Yeah. Not film. Or at least the fortune he didn't squander. Put into other bad projects that lost. Them right, you never put up your own money, and he always did. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes that didn't work out. I mean, right. when you have budgeted your personal finances for a six-week shoot and it goes on to sixteen months, no wonder he almost died, and no wonder he almost went crazy making this film. Right. I would suggest if you like this film a little bit, or just like that whole notion of art, the tortured of art, then watch the documentary that his wife shot, Hearts of Darkness. If you haven't seen it, it's I like it very much. Yeah, um, I think the the point of the film is pretty easy to understand and that it's an anti-war film the idea that kurtz is basically gone to cambodia the reason why i believe he's the demigod status is that he is an american figure an imposing american figure who is anti-war unless you are no he's he's not anti-war 
He's waging the most he aggressive anti this particular war he's, possibly. He is yeah, anti, yeah. he's anti the American military. He's what he's anti is the masquerading of we we fight with rules, right? Like yes. the, the the moment on the boat where now this isn't Kurtz, this is Willard, but right. the moment on the boat where they've you know the um shoot the the hot-headed young guy shoots up the the people on the boat when he gets worried because the woman starts going clean, for the, yeah. the bucket clean thank you um when clean shoots everybody and the woman is still kind of writhing like she she is not mortally wounded mm-hmm. and uh the 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 captain of the boat right uh chief oh, chief thank you Chief uh, is like we're, we're taking her right. Yeah, right. We're, the we're rules be say her. we must. Right. Right. He because he's abiding by the rules of war, mm-hmm. and Willard shoots her right there, point right. blank, and and just you know ends it and says no. He says we shouldn't have stopped. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. That's the kind of he you know Willard is resisting this like because he's been on these clandestine missions. He does these things that are distasteful that aren't by the book. By the book in terms of like these. You know the the uh, the um, with extreme prejudice, right? Um, but no, what's the the uh, uh, Geneva Convention? Okay. There's like these ideas are like you know like we set okay yes we'll fight each other but we'll have these like you you always if you know if somebody's not mortally wounded on the field you take them in and you you know these kind of things like that that's all just facade that's bullshit because if you're blowing each other up, you're blowing each other up. If, mm-hmm. the, if the point of this thing, that this endeavor that you're part of is to take each other out, well then take each other out. Like, right. do, what, do it correctly. At least that that's the mindset that Kurtz is, you know, Kurtz is the American military and it's restrictions on what I'm supposed to be doing, what mm-hmm. I'm doing. That's bullshit. Yeah. I see a clear path to victory here and us attaining this, this goal. And, it, and I want to see that come. So he's not anti-war. He's he's an emblem of like war and it's like most you cor- naked. You corrected and- me correctly. He is anti the American way yeah. that was typified most clearly in this film by Kilgore, where he's yeah. like, "Hey, go while we're doing this, let's surf and have a beach party and bring yeah. in the steaks and the beers." And it's like, to which Willard says, "The more he tried to recreate home, the more we realized we missed it." The more the Playboy bunnies tried to recreate home, the more we realized we missed it. I say the film's anti-war because every single person that's successful at war in this film is crazy. <laughs> yeah, or no, goes I, I think, crazy. I agree with you. The film is anti-war. Yeah, so at the beginning in the hotel, we are seeing a... Uh, I don't even know if they had come up with the term PTSD. Uh, well, it wasn't popular in 79 or no, 78. No. So what we're clearly seeing a guy who is on the brink of madness yeah. and his family has fallen apart. He, you know, I didn't even talk to my wife until she asked for a divorce. Yeah. And then it's like the only thing I know how to do to get over this is to go back into it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I enjoy Brando as Kurtz in this film. I enjoy the shadows and the lighting and the way that it's all put together cinematically. This is the first time I've given hard thought, though, to the notion that we do not see the proof in the pudding of his demigoddery. You're right. We we do not. We have to assume that he is what made a place for these indigenous people to, to be themselves. I always assumed it was because they admired him. For being in Cambodia, a place away from the war to a degree, yeah, and 
but yeah, you're. I, I don't know. I, I've I mean, never given that thought. Based on what they say, I can imagine that he he has led them on successful missions, mm-hmm. ones that they probably didn't expect to come out victorious from, mm-hmm. but because he was so cutthroat and because he was so willing to just do the harsh thing that needed to be done or have them do the harsh thing that needed yeah. to be done, that they saw the success. I mean, it's it's fathomable to me. I understand how that could happen, but then once we arrive there, Kurtz feels like a letdown to me. It feels like a weird I, I completely caricature performance. Your completely understand your point. Yeah. I'm, I'm not there, though. Um, I hear you. I... And, and it, I wasn't always there. It, it it helps if you know that it's Marlon Brando and you have a reverence for Marlon Brando. Mm-hmm. It makes it easier as an audience to go there with that character, which at this point, coming off, you know, The Godfather and his Last work Tango with in Paris, his and... work with Coppola and whatnot, and you know everything he had done prior. It's like, oh, Marlon Brando, like his name still carried a lot of weight in 1979. Yeah. Um, more than it did in 72 72 yeah. it was a little bit of a hard thing well, because the, the 60s hadn't been great for you, it. You, yeah Coppola screenwriter shows you that Kurtz was an exceptional sh- soldier he's looking through the the resume I, why, I looked at this resume I don't even know why would they want me to kill this person yeah a monologue thing. that is cre- recreated word for word in Hot Shots Part 2 there you go <laughs> mine from the best um, but that descent into madness that chef goes through yeah that chief goes through to a degree although he remains kind of the most yeah, he, level-headed throughout yeah. the film uh the idea that we, we we we're going back in time really and the the there's firefight and then they go down the river past cambodia and then it's arrows yeah and a spear yeah. and then that sh- haunting shot of all those white painted yeah. natives and their canoes as and they enter that and that's only island. a little problematic I guess to, to like use the going to the indigenous people as like going to this more primal um, well I think you're you going know. back in time I mean the, the, well the, that's the cut French sequence I mean they're literally yeah no, leaving I, this ether no as I, under, I understand there. what you're saying but yeah. to say like that's a way that a man comes into contact with like his true nature is to go back to this kind of primal scene of what it was like to live in the but jungle. I think that's exactly and... what Kurtz is saying. I think that's what you're saying Kurtz is saying. See, Kurtz would hate Kilgore, the Duval character. Right. For all of Because he's got the trappings of the... civilization around him. And yeah. he's trying to... He, he's... They, they come across a man who's been wounded, an enemy. He's holding his guts in with a pot, a pot lid, they say. And Kurtz... Uh, sorry, Kilgore says... Uh, this is a man. Of course, I'm going to give him water out of my canteen. Any man that would, you know. And then the moment he hears that the surfer's on board, he kind of pulls the water away. It, there's no. He's not even. He's not even consistent with his bullshit. You right, know what I mean? Right. Um. So so yeah. So I I don't know. You're seeing every single kind of stage of war and what can, what it can do to yeah. different types of people as yeah. you go. I find it compelling and fascinating. Well, there, I think you're. I agree with it. And again. What I said before, there are still pieces of this film mm. and a lot of it that I really do have reverence for and I appreciate. And um, th- there are some great performances in here yeah. all around. I mean, I think Sheen does a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. And the whole story of that opening sequence that he, it really was his personal descent into madness yeah. and he was totally trashed. Do and, not stop filming me. Right. And, and decided I'm going to put this on film and, you know, sort of. You know, I, I think that comes through. It feels very authentic. What, what's what's kind of going on in in that uh, opening uh, section of the film? So, I you know I get it. I get it. It's just 
it does as time goes on it feels like it builds to a less satisfying kind of conclusion than i would want it to and i don't know maybe i'm actually suffering a little bit from what carlos talked about in the, or, or what i accused carlos of, of doing in the first half which is maybe not appreciating as fully as i should that this was like because like you say joe this film was sort of exploring in some way this ptsd phenomenon I think in a way that hadn't been done before um, and that we have seen since. Like I think, you know, as I was watching this this time, I was thinking a lot of The Hurt Locker and and sure. how that yeah. film has like kind of a similar character who's tortured, you know, the Jeremy Renner character. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the, the name, but um, who's got this like, even though What's he's... Corp Corporal Locker? Is it? I don't know. Yeah. I don't a very know. Johnny I mean, Hurt, I think, is what. Yeah. <laughs> the exact same thing. He goes home and then is so, and like can't. And hack as much it as right, his... he wants to be back. Like he doesn't want to be. No, he as, actually does want to be. As soon as he gets an opportunity to go back, he goes. And I think there are. I think I can believe. Not ever. You know, I can believe that there are people who are so deeply wounded by that experience. Mm -hmm that then they never feel right unless they're in that, right? Because unless I'm surrounded by this thing that has like killed a part of my soul or, or like shut off a part of me, then I'm There's a price feel... to pay for embracing the horror. Yeah. Which Kurt says is the only way you can really be an effective military. Right, You right. have to embrace the horror. Yeah. Instead of trying to cover it up with a Playboy yeah. show, you yeah. know? Yeah, uh, If, as you said at the beginning of this talk, that decisive victory is your goal. Yeah. And that was not our goal in, in Vietnam. You know, yeah. now that we look back in history yeah. books and we've learned about the reasons and the, 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 the types of warfare and the things that were going on, uh, you know, that are pretty, pretty horrible. Yeah. One thing that kept coming to mind as I was watching this was it's giving like a gear wrath of God vibes heavy, big time. And he, heavy. he Coppola has said that that was an inspiration. Okay. Absolutely. I okay. mean, it had yeah. to, have been. Oh, it, and, it, and it really maps pretty closely to the, you know, pretty yeah. close. Yeah. Like yeah. this man starts out with a crew and the crew gets whittled down until it's really just him. I and mean, then he loses there his mind. Too, yeah. 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 And yeah, it's, you know, would have been interesting to see Kinski in the role. <laughs> Can you imagine? Kinski is Kinski Kurtz. and Brand. All right, there you go. That would have been the way to go. I wonder if he even contemplated that. Kinski and Chef Kinski do that. The other thing that leapt to mind, and I cannot remember the title of the film, but it was the one that we watched, then discussed. That was about the um, evangelical uh, uh, commune, the and, sacrament, the sacrament. Oh the Thai yeah, West yeah, Thai because. West. The, now I'm biting in, I'm chewing on this notion that you have. Kurtz really wasn't that like um, inspirational, you yeah. Know, uh, for for those that were considering him a god, but that guy was. He had that that yeah. that flim flam, that, that yeah. ability to talk and charm and you that know, interview he, scene where like any time a question is raised, he's perfectly able to, He's able to deflect yeah. and like gaslight the interviewer yeah. into thinking that they're the one doing something wrong when he's like literally about to murder 400 people yeah. or whatever you yeah. know uh, and I also thought um, Kurt's but it's because Brando showed up unprepared right like that's a big part of the story about this mm -hmm. film and and another thing I wonder is if unprepared it, if it, and not happy not like not like excited to get going yeah it, it delayed and delayed and delayed if it didn't have so much lore behind it would it be as famous as it is is a question that I always have with movies like this I think in this case yes but anyway yeah I but, think it has enough going on that it would but I, but, but I think the lore is a big part it's of a the, big part of yeah. it but Brando shows up totally unprepared 
being a real fucking pain in the ass. Like you uh, a notice lot, a lot that bigger and stockier than uh, Coppola super, expected. Super over or not super, but definitely overweight for like what Coppola had asked for for right. the part. And then on top of that, you you in this movie you I almost positive you never see him and Dennis Hopper on in the same frame at the same time because they no. fucking hated each other and like <laughs> he Brando full on refused to be on set if Hopper was also on set you wow. know so like there's a scene where um I think they've like uh, captured Martin Sheen's character and uh Kurtz is reading out of a book and Dennis Hopper is almost kind of like playing hype man for him. Yes. Yep. But, but it's, yeah, no, but they're, they're hard cuts. It's not editing. Whips. It's yeah. Not, yeah. They're yeah, hard yeah. cuts. They're, like they're, they're not in the same, they were not there at no. the same time. And you can tell yeah. the way that it's edited and everything yeah. that that's I think, what was I happening. Kurtz at the end of the day says, I need to martyr myself. Number one, it'll improve my standing in the community that I've created here. And number two, they're just going to keep sending people. Yeah. If I dispatch with Willard, and if I can't convert him over to be one of my disciples, they're just going to bring another one, and another yeah. one, another one. Um, yeah, I, 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 I like this movie a lot. I completely understand your criticism, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, well said. You, and, yeah, and and it's an, I like it. And I, I think, love it. I mean, it's the, yeah, don't I think I think the lore that Carlos talks about. It's also one of those films that, like, you know, again, it's been re-released in at least two other versions. Yeah. right. There's the Redux you mentioned, made quick mention mm -hmm. of. Final There's cut the final cut. cut. Yeah. That you know, and you mentioned this like there's a scene where they go to this sort of uh, colonial estate that you know a French colonial estate that's totally excised from this version. We we're talking about the '79 version is mm -hmm. what we looked at, the theatrical version, the one I saw first. Yeah. Um, the Redux I think came along in the early 2000s, yes. from what I remember, and then Final Cut more recently. Um, but they add layers, they add different things. It kind of teases out some of the stuff that you were talking about, Joe. And, and I think they're worthy of looking at. And I don't think this is a bad film by any stretch, but it, you know, it's just as time has gone on and I think I've become a little bit more of a critical viewer and I maybe demand a little bit more from the films I'm watching. If I want to put them on that shelf where it's like these are the... Because I will do that with Godfather still. Godfather is still, to me, a top-tier film that you, know, you, you say you take the light in introducing people to it. I think I do too. And w my kids, when they get a little bit older, it will be a film that I will watch. Make with a them big spaghetti point. meal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll have them watch up to the sauce scene, and then I'll have them recreate the sauce for me. No, yeah. uh, we'll uh, and we'll do God Goodfellas too the same night. Yeah, uh, but you know that's this when you, one. You cap off the meal with a little cocaine. <laughs> You have to have them cut the garlic with a razor blade. That's right. They won't know what it means yet. No. But when you watch yeah. Goodfellas right. after Well, Godfather. and then I'll have them take a snail and have it ride along the edge of the razor blade. <laughs> right. Yeah. Then, so, you know, so it's really a triple feature. Your kids aren't sleeping. That would, Apocalypse Now won't be a film that I force on them. Yeah. It, it'll be one that if they have curiosity about or, you know, maybe I, I would indulge it. But it won't be. We need to watch this. The Conversation, The Godfather, probably The Godfather Part Two all still fit in those kind of that territory and, and maybe even a couple other Coppola films. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, The Outsiders mm -hmm. and um, uh, a couple others. Actually, Jack is one that I, I, gotta revisit I have some Dracula. perverse uh, Oh, that's weird. In. Yeah. Jack's not good, well, David. I don't know. We'll, have to, we'll <laughs> save that for a later episode. Oh, I, I might be absent. <laughs> no kidding. Whatever well, you want to do. Will, will, I, will I push off another guest, uh, another host, on, on this program here soon uh, <laughs> another one <laughs> with with uh with my movie uh insistence uh, uh movie selection insistence if you like guinness 
this is the beer for you, they say. That's what they say. Yeah. That's what that's what Bra- Bravis, Bravis says. What do y'all think? Um, I think this is a much better approximation of a dark beer than what we had in the first half. I still think it rides a little too much on the sweet side for me to be fully satisfied by it. It's interesting, you know, dipping into these different styles, these variations um, as, as we try them with non-alcohol. I'm realizing it's the drier, lighter non-alcoholic beers that work better for me, at least in, in what I'm experiencing. I don't know if Carlos is having a similar experience or not. What do you, what do you think with this one, the uh, oatmeal dark? Uh, I've been I've been enjoying it. Mm-hmm. I think that it is a pretty decent approximation of an oatmeal stout yeah i mouth the mouthfeel is there yeah i i'm smiling because we made reference recently <laughs> to that mouthfeel comment in, oh, the, menu yeah, trailer. in the menu trailer yeah. yeah yeah uh i i think some of the flavor is there too yeah i i i, I like oats in yeah in a beer yeah it gives yeah. it a nice kind of sweetness maybe yeah well it is um and, it, and i and a more appropriate like there's a context for the sweetness with the black ale that we had it wasn't quite as clear but the fact that you're using the oatmeal and the grain bill that makes sense to me like that because those do tend to be a little bit sweeter a little bit like have you ever had um unsweetened vanilla almond milk or oat milk or something like that yeah i think so it's not sweet because it's not sweetened Mm-hmm. But the vanilla makes it feel like it's sweet a little bit, and I feel like oats along kinda, with the oat, oat oats. I feel have like, like oats kind of yeah. do a similar thing. Yeah, where it's it's not like you know you put a bunch of fucking donuts in there or something no. like a pastry stout, but it has the essence of sweetness. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Again, in any that's because of the style, right? I I, I made the uh, the comment on the first half that like it's it's not a refreshment thing, and it's a, and this also isn't though. I think this is one that I could see myself reaching for if I was in a situation where it was like, you know, post-dinner dessert time and okay, what what could go with like a nice, uh, I don't know, almond tort that we're having or so, like something like that. Oh, I could have a glass of the uh, Bravas Oatmeal Dark along with that. That might pair nicely. Um, or maybe even a cheese plate. I mean, that's more my dessert mode. Uh, and I could see this going well with something like that, the sweet to kind of balance out some of the funky and uh you know kind of saltier elements of a cheese plate i dig that yeah i, I was i was into it yeah this, so i i think much more successful than our than our first beer from from uh from our hairless dog yeah hairless dog brewing yeah two two breweries this week that are strictly near beer breweries which That's is interesting right. um Although is Brewdog? No, because they still do alcohol. That's what I thought. Yeah, they, they just they have a line. Brewdog got some fame for having the most alcoholic beer ever one yes, time. That's, yeah. right. Uh, that's right. Interesting. Um, uh, I will enjoy an after hours. We don't usually tell you what beer we're going to drink, but uh, we're going to check out that Sierra Nevada yeah. Hop Splash. Is what it's that's called. Hop Splash. So Very interesting. Can't wait to crack one of those open. Well, it only took us 213 episodes, but we finally did the movie of all the movies. The Godfather. <laughs> uh, one of ours, that one of our, uh, one of us as hosts has uh, declared as their favorite. Their favorite movie. movie of all time. Do you have a favorite movie? Have you said it? I could never. Pick. I'm just with you. One. I, I have I terrible times declaring favorites, but Joe has made but that Joe's declaration. Done it. So we've no. we've done it. We've He's thrown down the gun. One so more viewing, and it. it's retaining its top spot. Uh, yes. Interesting. Um, 
And yeah, I'm glad that I finally got to check Apocalypse Now off my list because it's definitely been a big... um, Why is my brain not functioning at all? Uh, A glaring omission in my film viewing. Uh, But of course... As always, you know that the best part of this podcast is that the conversation doesn't end when the episode ends. It continues uh, in the the metaverse, uh, a.k.a. the internet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, You can find us on social media at uh, Twitter at Beer Movie Show, Instagram at Beer and Movie, Facebook.com slash Beer and Movie TX, Beer and Movie Podcast.com is the home base. You can find a link to our Patreon where you get a bonus episode every single week for only $5 a month. Really helps uh, keep the show going. Um, so we appreciate your support. You can also find a link to the Discord where we're talking about all sorts of things all the time. Uh, lots of fun conversations happening over there, especially uh, follow ups on the film reviews i find personally that after i've had a couple of days to sit on it before the episode comes out there's often times where i'm like oh, i wish i would have brought this up or oh, i wish i would have brought this up and i can do that in the discord and i like that you're right I that like is that a nice a nice part um, of the discord and uh, you can find a link to our merch store as well at t public slash user slash beer in a movie you can get shirts hoodies fucking mugs stickers all sorts of stuff over there it's a great time and joe's put together these incredibly well curated um groupings of 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 episodes whether it's all horror october cage match director focus will now have a, a coppola one i'm sure yeah um things like that you can find whatever suits you in our back catalog of over 200 high quality episodes and please uh don't forget to subscribe on apple Podcasts. it helps you be the first to know when a new episode drops also please rate and review it as well that helps us out a great deal so thank you very much we appreciate it uh this has been another slightly illegal episode of beer in a movie until next time leave the gun take the cannoli mm.